0: Hey kids, it's summertime, and you might be looking for something fun to do. So join us this summer at FBT Kids as we go deep, way down deep at Kids Camp 2015. Mark your calendars. Kids Camp is June 22nd through 25th from 630 to 830 each night. It's free for all kids entering 5K through 6th grade, and you can register online at fbt.org or call the church. So come join us. We want to see you there.
1: On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross Sacred head for such a worm as I. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the bird. i
2: The sound of a mighty rushing wind and its glory. trumpet as Gabriel sounds the call around me I see prophecies fulfilling and signs of the times they're appearing everywhere Oh, I can almost see the Father He says, son, go get my children at the midnight cry, the bride of Christ will rise. I see prophecies fulfilling every day and signs of the times they're appearing.
3: That's pretty good. <laughs> that's what we're looking forward to and believe in and living for. And if you don't make it, that's what we die for, to see our Lord Jesus Christ, the midnight cry. This morning, fellowship with God and with man, the subject of fellowship, which I don't know that I've ever preached an entire message on the subject of fellowship. But today, I'll see if I can. First John, chapter number 1. Would you please stand with me as we honor God's word and read it? I'll read, you follow with me. First John, chapter 1, and beginning at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word, capital W referring to the Lord Jesus of the Word of Life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was from the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ." And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Let me back up, and I want you to read the rest of the chapter with me, beginning in verse 7. Everyone good and heartily allowed together, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. My prayer is that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable first to you, and then to those my hearers today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. In verse number one, the apostle John tells us about his own experience and his own fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples were the most favored of all people because they were able to have intimate fellowship with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse number one, he said, we heard him speak. Wouldn't you have liked to have sat at the table with the Lord Jesus Christ and hear him just talk about the events of the day? And then he said, we not only heard him speak, but we saw his miracles, his mighty works. John was perhaps there the day that that blind man came, and the Lord touched his eyes, and he could see. The leper came, and the Lord spoke, and the leprosy went away. He saw that. He spoke, and that young man, the son of the widow of Nain, stood up off of that funeral uh, uh, procession that he was in, And John actually witnessed that. He saw Lazarus come forth out of the tomb on that day. He even wrote in his gospel that he also wrote along with this book. He said, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. I beheld his glory. I saw the evidence of his deity that he was in fact God in a human body. He said, I even touched him. Look at the end of verse 1. Our hands have handled the word of life. Do you remember when the disciples couldn't believe that Jesus was in fact alive? And he says, come and put your finger into my hands and touch the place on my side where the sword pierced me. Touch me and see that I'm not a ghost. I'm not some apparition. I am in fact the same Jesus that you have known for these years. And now I have died, but I'm alive again. And John had all that experience, that deep fellowship, that communion, if you will, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he writes that, and the theme of the book of 1 John is fellowship, fellowship with God and fellowship with other people, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, And I want you to understand something. If you don't hear anything else I've said, you need to get this right out of the gate today. God made us for fellowship with himself and for other people. I repeat it. God made us for the purpose of fellowship. Do you ever wonder why God made us? What is our purpose? What is the reason for our being, our existence? Well, there are several things that I won't go into, but if you'd look at the last verse of chapter four of the Revelation, I'm not going to turn there, but just remember that. It says that he created all things for his pleasure. Now, don't interpret that like an American living in the 21st century as we are, because when we read the word pleasure, we think of amusement, we think of having a good time. No, God didn't create you for his amusement. He didn't create you so you could have a, quote, good time. He created us for His pleasure, meaning for the joy that we would bring to Him, the satisfaction that we could give to Him as our divine Father, the, the joy and satisfaction that even God could feel as He looked at His creatures and He saw them modeling His character upon the earth. Do you remember that before the fall? Before sin came and contaminated everything, that God would come down in the evening, it said, in the cool of the day, and he would walk and talk and fellowship with Adam and Eve. Can you imagine going out and taking a walk around the neighborhood with God? And I don't know what form he was in when he appeared to them, but there was this deep sense of fellowship, camaraderie. Love, respect, admiration. As they took a walk in the cool of the day, as the Bible says, it made it so human, so real to me when I read that. Because God wanted to be with them. He took pleasure. God delights in His people. God delights in you as His child. God wants not only a saving relationship with you, He wants fellowship with you. He wants communion with you. I don't know about you, but I don't like to eat by myself. Sometimes it'll be 1245 or something. Everybody's left and there's two people left in the office and I'm looking around. I'm thinking, I hate to go eat by myself. The, the, probably if you just said to me, what is one of the great delights of your life is to go home after a good, hard, but satisfying day's work and to drive in and put my car in the car in the garage and walk in the house, and Norma's got supper on the table. And the minute I walk in the door, man, I smell it. And I go and I sit down, and there's just Norma and me now, the others have gone. But we sit there and we talk, "What did you do today, honey? Well, I did this. What did you do, Bill?" And we talk about our day, and we just fellowship. Not anything big and spectacular, just the stuff that makes life worth living, the stuff that God made us for, because He didn't make make us to eat alone. (laughs) He made us to fellowship. Do you know what He says in the book of Revelation? Come and sup with me. That's an old English word in our King James Bible. What does sup mean? It means supper. Supper. Come and eat supper with me. Come and spend time with me. Come and have that close fellowship that I created you for. And God wants to be with you, my friend, and he wants to be with me. He wants to be there in the bitter times, the emergency room, the operating room, beside the grave. He wants to be there in the sweet times, anniversary occasions, graduation night. He wants to be there on the birthday parties and when somebody carries the new baby out of the delivery room. He wants to be there at the celebrations, the the times that we gather our families together and we rejoice, the wedding days, when we got a promotion. God doesn't just want to be worshiped one hour on Sunday morning. He made us for fellowship with himself fellowship. So let's talk about it. Look at chapter 1 and verse 3, the last phrase. Truly, so he's emphasizing the truthfulness of this statement, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So first of all, let me call your attention to fellowship with God Himself and His Son, the Lord Jesus, verse 3. In in preaching through the years, one of the reasons maybe I haven't preached on fellowship, it's been a hard concept for me to be able to feel like I've very effectively communicated it. So I'm trying something new this morning. I'm making up my own little parable. And I'm going to give you a little parable that I hope can pull out the essence of what it means to fellowship. And so I want you to picture a great plague sweeping over our country like the great plague back in the medieval times, or maybe think of Ebola, a great pestilence, a great disease is sweeping over the United States, and people are dying everywhere and all day long, and the country is in a crisis. And for whatever reason, you find yourself living in the same home with two men. One of them is a wealthy, wealthy father. He has all kinds of resources at his disposal. This man is obviously a multimillionaire. Perhaps he's a billionaire. He just seems to have no end to the money and resources and influence that he has. And his son is living with him. And his son, I find out, is a physician. And he's a physician who has specialized in this illness, this plague that's sweeping over the nation and killing hundreds and thousands of people. And so I get to know them And I watch their order of life I see how that every morning the sun leaves the house And he goes out And he walks among these people Who have this dangerous, contagious disease He risks his life as it were And all day long he's pouring himself Into rescuing these poor victims Of this horrible, horrible disease That is sweeping the country And then his father is communicating with him, and the father is spending money like there is no end, and trucks are coming in, and they're dropping off supplies, and then every evening, you gather for the evening meal, and you sit there at the table, and you listen to the father, who is the resourcer and the supplier... And the initiator of this thing And you look at this son This young man who is expending his life And sacrificing, risking his life On a day-by-day basis You watch him going out and coming in And then every day we sit at the table together And we hear their discussion And the father says Well, how did it go today, son? And he said Well, I was treating this patient And I discovered this And there's some patients over here And some of them died And my heart was breaking for them. And over here, and and he goes through his day, and then the father communicates with him, is there anything else you need? I want to help you out. And and you listen to this conversation, and you see the love and the concern that the father and the son both have. You see how the father's willing to give anything and do anything to get the job done to save these poor people with this disease. And, And you watch the son. This man sacrifice that knows no end as he expends himself in this effort here to save these victims. And you begin to see the bond between them, the deep love, the respect, the admiration between the father and the son. And your respect for them grows because you say, these are the most unselfish people I think I've ever been around. These people genuinely care. They care for people they don't even know. They care about their well-being. They're risking their life and giving their resources for these people. And your admiration and love and respect for them grows almost by the hour, as it were. And finally, you say to them, look, I've watched you. And I've watched you sacrificing and risking your life. I've watched you reaching to the bottom of your Pockets with the most generosity I've ever seen and, and I've watched you sacrificing And giving your resources to help these people That you don't even know How can I get involved with you Your cause is so noble Your cause is so grand and so great I just want to be a part I, I'll go and I'll carry your stuff But whatever you want me to do I'll do because I, I've now sensed this bond with you This spiritual relationship if you will I don't have your skills, son, the physician. I don't have your resources, father, but I'll give you what I have because the cause is so overwhelmingly important. It really is the only thing that matters right now in our country. Now, I hope in my little parable that I've communicated what fellowship is because fellowship has Four elements in it that I'm going to share with you And you might want to write down these four words As best I could They describe what I believe fellowship means First uh, let me tell you The word fellowship in your English Bible Comes from a word that actually is translated In a number of different ways Fellowship First, it comes from a word that means communion It's the Greek word koinonia And it actually means communion Fellowship, secondly, means that we agree uh, on some basic things together. Fellowship means we have some things in common that we agree on basic beliefs and basic values that we hold dear. Fellowship comes from the same word that actually means uh, community. We talk about people having a sense of community We mean they have a sense of fellowship And so these four words to me describe it First of all, if you're putting them down with me Number one is fellowship means agreement It means a sharing is the definition up on the screen Sharing of things held in common We believe the same things Therefore we have the same values We have the same mission We have the same purpose In the book of Amos, chapter 3 and verse 3, and don't turn there, but just write it down in your margin somewhere, it asks a question. The prophet said, can two walk together except they be agreed? The truth is, not for very long. No, many couples have found out they had some basic disagreements about very basic things in their life. And so they ended up with a broken marriage because they didn't stop and find out if there was true agreement about basic beliefs. So can two walk together except they be agreed? No. Can people stay in a church they don't agree with its basic doctrines? No, no. So fellowship begins with an agreement or a sharing of things held in common. It's more than some social camaraderie. We have really done a disservice to the word fellowship in Baptist churches because we say, come on out for a hot dog fellowship or a hamburger fellowship. We act as though you can't fellowship without eating. And you can tell, we love to eat. And so we say, we're having a fellowship. Let's be honest, we shouldn't call it fellowship, we're having a cookout. No, we're having a pig out is what we're having. And we've done a great disservice to the word fellowship because fellowship is a sharing of things in common and specifically things that we believe and things that we hold dear. And so you see that father and that son, they had a common purpose and mission and agreement that any sacrifice they would make would be good for That that would help stop this plague Would be a proper thing to do The second word That fellowship means is Communication Communication Fellowship requires Communication There is no fellowship without communication There has to be an intelligent understanding Between two parties And so here's a young man a young woman, and they begin to get interested in each other. And I go by the park down here. They're sitting on a bench, and they're looking at each other. They're communicating. They communicate just their eyes. They don't even have to say words. And they just look into each other's eyes. They're communicating. There's a bond forming there. There is a spiritual element of this as they fall in love. And then the more I talk to someone, the more I understand them. And we communicate. And I tell you and you tell me. And I speak and you speak. And this exchange, we communicate and we deepen and have fellowship, a shared understanding. There's a third word, and it's involvement. And so, I said at the end of the parable, I say... Can I get involved? There is no fellowship to stand back and be a spectator. One of the great sins of contemporary American Christianity is this idea I'll go to church, I'll put a few bucks in the plate, but don't ask me for any time, don't ask me for any heart, don't ask me to get involved. I don't want any sweat equity in this enterprise. I just want to come when I want and hear the rev and enjoy the music and go home. And I'm going to tell you, you'll never truly be a part of the fellowship until you begin to get involved. It's cooperation in a common cause. That father and that son, their fellowship was based on this powerful sense of purpose that they had to stop this plague in my little parable to you. And so there's involvement, a shared cause. We dedicated these little babies. A new baby comes into a home. And here the husband and wife have fallen in love and they've gotten married and they've lived together here for two or three years. And now the little baby is born. Does that take away from their love? Does that destroy their fellowship? Absolutely not. It deepens their fellowship. They look into that little baby and they say, we produced that little baby together. And now we have a purpose. We want to rear this little child. We want to bring this child up in a certain way. We're going to start saving some money for his education. We're going to, we're going to go to church together because we want our child under holy influences. And we're, and we're going to go take a vacation. And we're going to do this because... And they began to dream about what they're going to do for that little child. And you know what? Two of them, dividing their love up now, find out that the more they pour into that child, the more they love each other. Involvement. Not just watching the child, but participation in this shared purpose, if you will. I think of the choir. We enjoyed them so much this morning. Here's an illustration of of, uh, fellowship right in front of you. First of all, I assume they love music. They wouldn't be up here. They love good music. You know what they do? They leave their home. They get up in the middle of the NFL season, in the middle of the ball game, and come up here at 4.15 and practice, which means they value music. And they don't get a dime for it. They're here as volunteers because they believe that singing praise to God Doing what they just did so wonderfully a few moments ago sets an atmosphere in the church of worship and praise as part of what we do when Christians get together. And so it's worth the sacrifices. And somebody says, well, can't we cut choir practice time? No, not and do a good job. Well, can we move it to Wednesday night? Yeah, if you want to stay till 10 o'clock. But you know what? Your involvement... And the sacrifice and the price you pay to do it means that a bond forms with these people. And after a little while, there's a choir fellowship. And we're not talking about eating that night. We're talking about this spiritual thing that binds us together because of a common interest and involvement and shared experiences. That's why the more you're involved in your church within a reason the more that you're going to enjoy it and be blessed by it because the fellowship deepens as we serve the Lord together. And so there's four words, agreement, communication, involvement, and spiritual. This deep appreciation and admiration and this bond that forms because we have this common faith and involvement in the Lord's work. I want you to turn back with me in the New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and in verse number 16, we learn a little bit more about fellowship. 1 Corinthians 10 and 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, and so he's obviously describing the Lord's Supper, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So when we take the Lord's Supper, or what do we call the Lord's Supper? Communion. And what are we doing? We're acknowledging what Jesus Christ did for us and our role and our involvement in that as believers. Go over to 2 Corinthians, if you will, please, in chapter number 6. He uses the same term, talking about marriage and business partnerships and very very close and binding relationships 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 and I go down to verse number 14 and he gives us a warning do not be unequally yoked now yoke was that binding harness that was put upon oxen and so animals as they plowed fields in the old testament don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers a binding relationship With an unbeliever. For what fellowship, there's our word, what communion, what commonality, what sharing hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And so, over and over, these ideas are sprinkled through our New Testament. But notice with me in verse number three, to go back to 1 John now to our text passage. Not only are we to fellowship with God, but we're to fellowship one with another. The same fellowship that you and I, that the Bible teaches that you and I can have with God, we can also have with one another. And I want to tell you something today, church, because we live in a day when we're being pulled apart on every way, in the country, in the churches, wherever we may be. When you get saved, one of the marks of salvation, according to the book of 1 John, I won't read the verses, but I can show you. One of the marks of a saved person is we want to be with other saved people. There is a desire to be with our own kind, if you will, to be with people who have common interests, common values, common purposes, a common mission in life. Have you ever thought how much we are alike here in this building today and how easy it should be for us to fellowship? We were all at a place where we recognized we were sinners and we were saved from the same sin, the same sinful nature. We were saved with the same blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for our sins. We read out of the same Bible, the same guidebook that we are to all follow. We've been washed in the same blood We're indwelled by the same Holy Spirit who takes up his abode in us when we're saved. We're going to the same heaven. That person that you don't like in this church, you're going to have to be around them for eternity. And you don't want to say, well, I'm not willing to go to the other place to get away from them, I don't think. So we might as well learn to love each other on this earth, wouldn't you think? And that's what the Lord said. In fact, you know what Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse number 35? He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have a fish on the back of your car. No. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have a cross on your lapel or around your neck. No. And today, those are the emblems of Christianity. That's not what Jesus said The way that you will recognize a Christian, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you say it with me, church, love one another, even when they're ugly, even when they're unpleasant, even when they have little idiosyncrasies that you don't really care about. But... Jesus said this is the identifying mark of a Christian. We love one another. We love one another. We look out for each other's interest. In fact, go with me in 1 John. You're in 1 John. Turn over to chapter 4. Let me show you a very powerful verse that really makes me search my heart sometimes. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar. It's a pretty serious thing to just call a person a liar flat out, but that's what the Bible does. If I claim to love God and I hate my brothers in Christ, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how could he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. What words, what powerful words. words. That the, now listen to me, hear me. The Lord measures my love for him by the way that I love you. The Lord says, I measure my love for you by the way you care for and love the brother. And, and this ought to override everything else. I look across this audience today. We have people here with a lot of means, very, very wealthy people. And we have some people here who are poor, as we say, dirt poor. But do you know what? At the foot of the cross, the ground is absolutely level. You don't show the Lord your balance sheet when you come to Christ. We have people of different races here, Asian people, African-American people, white people, old people and young people. But the Bible teaches us that we're one in Jesus Christ. You want a solution for the race problem today in America? And boy, we've got one. The race problem could be solved if the Christians had opened up their Bible and study the book of 1 John. That we love our brothers and our sisters. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. This should override everything else. We have different social classes, different economic classes, different races. But the fellowship, truly understood of the New Testament, would overcome all of that. I read a study. It was such an interesting study. A journalist went back and interviewed the people who lived in World War II In London, England during what they call the Blitz Now the Blitz was when Hitler attacked London And he was going to bomb it into ashes And he would have if it had not been for American intervention and some other factors there But the bombs were falling Repeatedly upon the city of London Buildings were burning Many blocks were turned into rubble People were dying, people were wounded The hospitals were full Nobody could seem to stop Adolf Hitler at that time. And this journalist went back just a couple of years ago and interviewed these people all in their 80s now that lived through that blitzkrieg. And he said to them, tell me what you thought and what you think about the blitz. You lived through it. He said, I thought they would talk about how bad things were. I thought they would talk about gloom, doom, and, and negatives He said it was the most interesting interview I ever had. They spoke wistfully. That was his word, wistfully. Almost like they would like to go back again. Because they said during that time, we learned to know our neighbors and love our neighbors and share with our neighbors. And we couldn't do anything else, so we would just sit and talk. And the best friends I ever made and some of my most delightful experiences, interestingly, was during that time because they learned at a very deep level what fellowship, what John is talking about here, they learned what that meant. And you and I, listen to me, the world is calling you like it never has before. The siren song of the world is out there to call you to all of its devices. And i look at the people of the world, and they're not happy people. They're not joyful people. There's such a restlessness in our culture, such meaninglessness, such a lack of purpose. And what is missing? What is missing? A sense of fellowship. And for us, our deepest concern should be for the Lord's work. God's work, the work of the church, the work of missions, the work of the cause of Jesus Christ here and wherever it may be, it ought to be our greatest concern, our involvement from the heart because of our common fellowship. Boy, I'm running out of time. Verse 5 and 6, though, tells me that fellowship can be broken This is the message We declare to you God is light And in him is no darkness at all God is light Describes his character He's a God of light He's a God of purity A God of holiness That's his character Light And in contrast Darkness represents sin It represents evil Hatred All the negatives that we know about And so he contrasts here God's light in the darkness of the culture of that time. And notice what he says down there in verse 6. If we're going to walk in the darkness, we cannot have fellowship with God. A God of light, purity, and holiness cannot fellowship with evil and with sin. I bet you there's somebody listening to me right now in this building that a cloud has come over your life darkness you seem to be walking in the twilight right now instead of the light your joy is gone you've lost your joy as a Christian it's a burden to come to church and to do the things Christians should enjoy doing look at verse 4 in your Bible there chapter 1 he said I'm writing to you about fellowship so you can have joy Americans are wealthy people They're comfortable people. They're not necessarily joyful people. They laugh, but it's not the laughter of joy. It's the ha-ha stuff that passes over very, very quickly. But when we have joy or when we have fellowship with God, we have joy that accompanies it. And so how do you maintain that fellowship with God? Well, you go to verse 9. One of our favorite verses in all the Bible If we confess our sins What does it mean to confess? It means to agree with God To take His side It means to not defend yourself That oh I'm this good person But it's to see yourself as God sees you If you look there At verse 8 and verse 10 In fact it warns against self-deception Saying that you have no sin. Pastor, do you confess your sins every day? I absolutely do. Because my heart is so deceitful, I don't even know some of the things that are going in it. I don't understand it. If we agree with God and take His side and see ourselves as He sees us, then He forgives us of our sins. In verse 7, there's that wonderful word, cleanseth. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth from all sin. It cleanses and keeps on cleansing all the time. It's a cleansing agent. And when our sins are forgiven, then we are in fellowship with the Lord. Fellowship can be restored. Would you bow your head with me this morning, please?
4: King who was a carpenter from Galilee was royalty who lived among ones just like you and me. This person and his message were simple yet profound. Through faith we know his father through Him share common ground. Who is this King who sets the captive free? Who is this King Give the darkest sins Who died yet lives again Jesus is His name The world may try to steer us with Their logic and debate Telling us we dare not rest Our future on our faith But it's more than just a concept And faith taught us to grasp He becomes more than reality
2: for tuning in to this week's edition of the Baptist Temple Hour. If you would like a copy of today's program, send your request and payment to the Florence Baptist Temple, P.O. Box 12809, Florence, South Carolina 29504. Be sure to include today's date and the title of today's message, and please allow two to three weeks for delivery. For more information about the Florence Baptist Temple, visit our website at www.fbt.org. We also want to extend to you an invitation to join us in person. Sunday school starts every week at 9 a.m. and the service begins immediately following at 10.30. Once again, the church family at the Florence Baptist Temple wants to thank you for tuning in this week. and We hope to see you next week for another edition of the Baptist Temple Hour.
3: Hey,
0: kids, it's summertime, and you might be looking for something fun to do. So join us this summer at FBT Kids as we go deep, way down deep at Kids Camp 2015. Mark your calendars. Kids Camp is June 22nd through 25th from 630 to 830 each night. It's free for all kids entering 5K through 6th grade, and you can register online at fbt.org or call the church. So come join us. We want to see you there.